Today is the spookiest day of the year and also my favorite. First and foremost, I've gotta say I am so sorry that I did not release an episode last week. For the record, I have been dealing with some physical and mental health issues and I'm so sorry. My physical health is struggling, there are some things going on internally with my body that I am not positive of, and it has begun wreaking havoc on my already kind of rough mental health. So I do apologize, but every once in a while, I just gotta take a break, otherwise I'm going to have severe burnout. I love making content for you guys and creating all that I do, but sometimes I'm just not okay. And on those days, I need to stay far, far away from creating and people, or else I just get a lot worse. But let's not focus on all of that. I don't want to make you guys sad. No, because today is my favorite day. It is my favorite holiday and it is Halloween, the spookiest day of the year. So, of course, I've got to give you something spooky. Now, usually, this would be when I would start laying the groundwork for a very terrifying yet very real murder or crime. However, because it is Halloween, I thought we could get spooky. Today, I have a tale for you about a woman and her three children. This family would go down in infamy as they began stating that they were being possessed by demons. Well, that's just something you don't hear every day. A nine-year-old boy was walking backwards up walls in the presence of family members and case managers for CPS and even a hospital nurse. With several witnesses to very strange supernatural phenomena, rumors started to fly around Indianapolis. Charles Austin, a police captain, had his doubts about this whole thing. In fact, Captain Austin, who was a 36-year veteran at the Gary Police Department during all of this, he believed that Latoya Ammons, the one who was making all of these claims about her family and this insanely haunted house that she was living in, he thought that she was doing this just to like, you know, make some money. I mean, let's face it, we as a society love to hear about those others in societies that just may be being tortured by a demon or some evil entity in their home. Look at Amityville. Look at all of the Conjuring universe. My god, if it says based on a true story, we're gonna eat it up. But then you follow that shit with paranormal or supernatural events, holy crap, we are standing at the movie theater just ready with our popcorn, just like, yeah, mm mm-hmm, fucking demons. We just love the bejesus being scared out of us. However, Charles Austin was not believing this. He genuinely believed that Latoya just wanted to get her name discovered and maybe have a book or a movie written all about this case. And side note, that happens. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Now, this police captain may not have believed Latoya and her family. At least, not initially because he would eventually actually go on record and state that he went from a skeptic to a believer, all because of this case. 
However, not everybody, and maybe not even you by the end of this, believe all of these claims. Yes, the story is absolutely incredible and that's why I wanted to tell you today. Many of you may find the claims that I have for you to be impossible to accept. But I'd like to point to the word supernatural or paranormal. These things are out of the norm, above the ordinary. They are not considered impossible events. Supernatural and paranormal do still fit in our laws of physics. It just means it's out of the realm of normality that we accept. However, whatever the case is and whatever really happens there with this family, whether they were seized in some sort of delusional state believing that they were experiencing a true demonic possession, this led to being one of the most unusual cases to ever be handled by the Department of Children's Services. I would like to go ahead and state that many of the events and what I'm going to share with you today is actually detailed in official documents. And that is about 800 pages worth of these official records. This is actually believed to be one of the most, I guess you could say, true hauntings. In fact, over a dozen very high up officials would go on record claiming that everything in these records and what was written down in all the events was true. A handful of psychologists, several family members of the Amans as well, a Catholic priest, and just about all of the police department that were involved. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, my name is Harmony, and I'd like to welcome you to a very special Halloween episode. This is the case of the Demon House. They came to kill, I'm going to kill him. I'm Zach Bagans. I'm one of the world's leading researchers on ghosts and demonology. And this film is cursed. A story about a demon possession makes international news. Now look at one of the most documented cases of demon possession and exorcism in recent history. The next day over the phone, I buy the house, sight unseen. In my 37 years of police investigation, I've never run into anything like that before. I just got the keys to the demon house. You think it's dangerous for me to be in that house? I wouldn't be there. She had holes in both her wrists. It was like little cuts. They called 911. They called 911. They did. It was an unidentifiable voice. I only heard it on the recording. Who in there? Something came back. I don't know if it was that demon, but something came back. I flipped the crucifix on her head. She began convulsing. It was a thick. What just happened? You attacked Jay. If people are making this up, I'm, I'm gonna catch him. Why is it spiking? We're just around my house and we see three police cars. This is what it all comes down to. It doesn't want me, it wants you. This whole story is extremely bizarre, but if it is true, it's fucking terrifying. 
Litzoya Amans, who swears by her story and has been absolutely open about everything, almost utter transparency. She would even sign her name, allowing investigators and reporters or journalists to read psychological, medical, and official records that documented all that occurred. It may not have always painted the events in the most flattering light, but it really had some odd occurrences. Now this case is made so bizarre by the fact that so many different entities are involved. Like DCS or DCF or Department of Children and Families, you know, those people. Along with several different psychological evaluations being thrown in and a police investigation and ultimately several exorcisms. It's all bizarre. But where does this tale begin? That would be in November or kind of almost December of 2011, when a bunch of flies took up residence on the porch of the Amon's new home. The Amon's had moved into their brand new rental on Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. A side note, if you live in Gary, Indiana and uh, your last name is Miller, hey, <laughs> we could be related. Yeah, my mom told me that all my family there was deceased, which isn't true, so I don't actually know then. So if your last name's Miller and you, uh, you, you, you want to say hi, we could be related. Okay, let's continue this spooky story. So this quiet street that was lined with one-story homes would become the setting for a nightmare. Big black flies suddenly started swarming the screened-in porch in the middle of December, in the middle of the winter months in Indiana, no less. Not really common for a lot of pests and insects to just be like hanging out in the middle of freezing winter. It's not really like uh, insects take a winter vacation, so it's not common to have them out and about in winter months. They go back to hell where they come from. So of course, to the Amans, this wasn't normal. In fact, they claimed that they were killing so many by the days and they were just coming back. If you don't know what this is kind of a reminder of, if you've ever seen The Exorcist, you will recall the fact that a bunch of flies being somewhere signifies possible demonic activity. Just wanted to like point that out. Now, along with these strange insects just hanging out on a porch in the middle of winter, they had a lot other strange happenings going on. Rosa Campbell and Latoya Amans, Rosa is actually Latoya's mother, would go on record and make claims that they heard footsteps climbing up the basement stairs just after midnight. And this wasn't like a one-time occurrence, this was kind of often. They would also hear the creak of the door opening between the basement and the kitchen yet nobody was there. Now, before we continue, I wanna tell you guys a spooky little story about something that I experienced once that's almost like this. Many years ago, when I was pretty young, in my early, early 20s, I was maybe 19, 20 at this time, I had went out with some friends and had drank illegally. <laughs> Shout out to the fake ID. I mean, <gasps> what? It's not like I can get punished now, that was like 15 plus years ago. Or if I can, I mean, no, this is totally a joke, that didn't happen. I had stayed at a friend's house this night because I had been drinking, so I couldn't drive, and at least I followed that law. So let me tell you what I was told before I woke up the next morning. In my absolutely drunken stupor, my friends proceed to tell me that they have a ghost in their attic. Meanwhile, I'm trying to hold down the taco bus that I was eating while trying not to run to the bathroom to sing my praises to the porcelain god 
gods because this is when I was still drinking Jaeger and oh my god, that shit is horrible. Now, they're telling me how they're pretty sure there's a female spirit that lives in their attic. You'll hear her singing, you'll hear her walking around, and she'll walk down the stairs and scratch her nails on the door. And she'll tap the little, like, handle, hoping maybe you'll open it. And if you do, guess what? Nobody's there that you can smell perfume. Oh! Okay, listen, I'm drunk, but like, I'm not gullible. So I didn't believe it. I mean, I loved it because I do believe in ghosts, but I like, I just didn't believe this story because it just sounded too eccentric. It sounded, it sounded too Hollywood. It sounded too lavish. So imagine my surprise when I wake up the next morning and I hear humming and singing. But when I look over to the hallway and expect to see maybe footsteps or hear somebody coming out of the bathroom and I realize nobody else is awake in the house, at least not that I can hear. I even got up, I opened the door, nothing. It's silent except for what sounds like high heels walking in the attic above me. Okay, maybe it's my friends just being real assholes and committing to this, right? No. No, because they were all men and I don't think that they had high heels. I mean, they may have, I don't know, but I don't think that they did. And then furthermore, I walked around the house to make sure that these fuckers were in their beds and weren't trying to scare the bejesus out of me. And they were. They were peacefully snoring their asses off as I began to hear a woman humming and coming down the attic stairs. Meanwhile, I am shitting bricks in the hallway. I'm trying not to run to the bathroom because I do have a splitting headache and I'm pretty sure I'm going to upchuck the taco bus that I managed to hold down the night before. And then I hear it. The scratching on the attic door as she begins to jiggle the handle. So I noped out of that room and ran into my friends and woke him up and said, Hey, I should probably go home now. Have a great day. I hope you survive the night. Goodbye. And I, I left and I never stayed back at my friend's house again. Which kind of sucks because now I would do anything to hang out at scary paranormal places because I love that stuff. So yeah, we are kind of at the same boat with the Amans. They are experiencing very odd happenings and it's only about to get much more bizarre. It's your first look inside the house known as the portal to hell, a place where demons supposedly wrought havoc with a helpless family in horror straight out of the exorcist. That the power of Christ compels you. This man just bought the notorious house in Gary, Indiana for the bargain basement price of $35,000. What compelled you to buy this house? I have a passion for investigating claims of paranormal. Zach Bagans is the host of the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures. We spoke inside the front porch, the precise spot where a terrorized mom claims that horseflies mysteriously swarmed in the dead of winter, as they did in the Amityville Horror. Then there was that mysterious figure that appeared in the window when the house was supposed to be empty. This is the other side of that window. There are reports that there was a, a residue that would come down the blinds. It was horrible. This is the woman who lived in the House of Horrors with her three children before Zach Bagans bought it. Latoya Ammons fought back tears when she told us how they fled in terror after her daughter was raised right off her bed. She says the demon sounded like this. We've waited five months. It sounded like something dead. She says she anointed the rooms with holy oil and read aloud from the Bible. But the nightmare went on and on and listened to a sound that cannot be explained by police who looked into the mysterious goings on. While two cops are talking in the basement, someone can be heard saying, hey. 
Embrace yourself for what Latoya says happened to her son when she and her mom took him to the hospital. It's right out of the movie Poltergeist. He walked up the wall and did the backwards flip. How did everybody in the hospital react to your son walking up the wall? They took off and they ran. The uh, doctor from the psych ward said that's not that's, that's not real. That's not human. No human can do that. Speaking of deep, mysterious voices. You in there. Those are the chilling words Captain Charles Austin will never forget. The 36-year veteran of the Gary, Indiana Police Department had just finished investigating strange occurrences in the house and was in his patrol car talking on the phone when he says something bizarre happened. All of a sudden, while I'm involved in this conversation, the AMFM radio went to static and turned up very loud and it said, you in there? And the person on the phone say, what the hell was that? And I say, I don't know. What was your reaction? I was in shock. Enter Father Michael Maginot, a local priest who got permission from the Bishop of Gary, Indiana to perform an exorcism on LaToya. Did you at one point believe this house was the portal to hell? It, there was a portal. LaToya moved out of the house and now lives many miles away. She knows her story is hard to believe. Some people claim that you made this all up, that this was some sort of an elaborate hoax. Is this a hoax? No, uh, I don't feel that someone will have a reason to make something up like that. Do you believe that house is possessed by demons? I do. I feel that uh, there's something very bad going on in that house. Rosa would go on record and say that one night she woke up to see a shadowy figure that looked like a man and they were pacing in the living room. Now unlike most people who would just, you know, pull the blanket over their head and be like, no, I saw nothing, there's nothing there, go back to sleep. She immediately got up and was like, I'm gonna go see who this is, only to find nobody there. But she did find rather large, wet footprints. I don't know if you have ever had something like that occur, but I have. Many, many years ago, when I was still married to my ex-husband, I woke up because I heard what sounded like somebody walking through the house. Now, it was a really, really stormy night, and it startled me awake. I then looked over at my bedroom door and saw what I could only describe as a woman in some sort of soaking wet coat and her head was down and I could see her hair dripping. Y'all, I about shit the bed. Then suddenly, in a flash, she was leaning over the bed and over me. I could not see her face, but I knew she was staring at me. I went to scream because I could feel the water dripping on not only my face, but the bed. When I screamed, I suddenly and involuntary threw my arms out as though I was going to punch whoever this was and I hit my ex-husband laying next to me. He woke up and she was gone, but surprise, surprise, our bed was still wet. And no, that's not because I pissed it. It was like water had dripped down from somebody who had wet body, you know, like wet hair and wet skin, and it had gotten on me. It was just above me on my chest and on the blanket that lied there as though somebody had literally dropped water on me, like little drops. To this day, I can never explain it and neither can my ex-husband, somebody that I don't agree with on anything, agrees wholeheartedly on what he experienced in the after effects and what occurred at that house. Anyways, sorry, side note on my scary stuff, let's get back to this one. Now at this point, they're just more kind of dealing with unease, like there's some unexplainable things but they're just kind of like, ah, he's a little spooky but like, 
We got a really good deal at this house, so it's good. And then, on March 10th, 2012, Rosa said that their kind of, like, unease, so this bizarre stuff, would turn to absolute fear. At about 2 o'clock in the morning, normally Rosa and Latoya and her children would have been asleep, like most of us. Unless you're me and you have insomnia and for some reason you can't sleep and you just stay up thinking about the weight of the world on your shoulders. Being an adult is fun. They weren't sleeping though because they had just dealt with the death of a loved one and they were kind of mourning with a group of friends just really having a hard time with this passing. This is when Latoya, who was in Rosa's room, startled everyone by screaming, Mama! Mama! This is when Rosa ran into the bedroom and saw her 12-year-old granddaughter and her friend. She said that she saw her granddaughter levitating above the bed while she was still unconscious. Latoya and her mother Rosa witnessed this event completely. According to their accounts of these events, Latoya and several others surrounded the girl and started to pray. Rosa at this point says that she was absolutely terrified. Eventually, Rosa said that her granddaughter began to descend and lay back down onto the bed. The girl then woke up with absolutely no memory of what had just occurred. Rosa and Latoya went on to say that the people who had been staying the night to mourn the death of a loved one would never again return to the home after what happened. I mean, <laughs> can you blame them? Even though, again, if it were me, I'd be like, hey, do you want a roommate? Because, like, this is cool as shit and I want to document it. Anyways, what do you say we continue with this spooky story? This little patch here has not been kept up with. It's kind of grown over. But right here is where the demon house used to stand. In fact, part of the sidewalk still remains down here that would lead up to the front of the house. Now, this tree can be seen very prominently in some of the photos. And supposedly, part of the house, at least the basement part, so there was a basement underneath it. You see the neighbors next door, there is a basement. There was one just like that here. It was filled in. And that is where the occurrence happened, right in either in the basement. A lot of it was in the basement, but a lot of it was up top. In fact, the sun was set in the, near the kitchen area, was thrown against the side of the wall, and like a supernatural being of some sort, tossed him against the side of the wall. At this point, Latoya and Rosa were terrified. They didn't know what exactly was happening in their house. They just knew that something supernatural was occurring. Rosa told her daughter, Latoya, we need help. We need to talk to somebody that knows how to deal with it. And again, they didn't know exactly what it was. So they started calling around to local churches. And surprise, surprise, the churches refused to listen. How, how shitty do you think it would be to like be dealing with this and try to reach out to somebody from the house of God, a place that literally preaches about Lucifer and demons and angels and God? only to refuse to hear you and basically tell you that you are crazy. All because you're basically validating what that house of worship already states. That demons exist and they will fuck with you. I don't know, I just, I find it very fucked up that churches were like, no, <laughs> we don't care, we don't want to hear it, we don't believe you. Like, shouldn't you be there with bells and cameras being like holy shit this is it boys we're gonna prove god's existence today with demons i'm just saying i'm just saying now eventually after listening to rosa and latoya talk about the house and visiting it 
Officials at one church told them that the Carolina Street House had spirits in it. It was undeniable. They then recommended that the family clean the house with bleach and ammonia. Because that's exactly how you get rid of evil spirits. Just a little spring cleaning. They then also recommended that once the cleaning was done, they would smear oil in the shape of crosses on their foreheads you know, to protect them. At this point, LaToya and Rosa were willing to do anything. They wanted this to stop. They were terrified. So they reached out to two clairvoyants who said that the family's home was besieged by more than 200 demons. This actually made more sense to LaToya and Rosa. They said it was because it meshed very well with their Christian faith. LaToya even remembers that these clairvoyants told her that the best thing for her and her family to do was to move. But moving wasn't an option. This is often how it goes. I would actually share a lot of my random paranormal experiences on my TikTok for a while, and I still have them, I just don't share them as much. But one of the biggest responses I would get would be, just move. I don't know about you, but not everybody in the world just has that kind of spare change hanging around. It costs nearly $10,000 to move a family today just to get into a place. Because our market and inflation is currently fucking trash. And I don't know about you, but like I said, people don't just have that hanging around. Now, of course, back then, it was a little bit more closer to like three grand to move. But still... People don't have that kind of shit just chillin', at least not usually. So this family was strapped for cash and moving absolutely was not an option. Instead, LaToya took the clairvoyant's advice and decided to make an altar in the basement. LaToya covered an end table with a white sheet and then placed a white candle and a statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on it. She then opened the Bible to Psalm 91. Now, in case you don't know, an altar is sort of a thing that people believe if you set up, you can appease and offer spirits things. Meaning it's less likely that they're going to harass you and terrify you as you're in their place. So if you make these altars, you can make the events in your house or wherever you are sort of calm down because you are acknowledging the spirits by giving them things, if, if that makes any sense. I mean, to me, it does, but to you guys who are skeptics, you're gonna be like, that just sounds stupid. It sounds like you guys are putting stuff on tables and saying, ooh, the ghosts want it. I get it, I know. But I find this stuff so interesting, and I love that they kind of took a uh, spiritual route to it, although we're gonna learn it didn't do anything. In fact, this seemed to maybe aggravate the entities that were there. Also on the clairvoyant's advice, they would burn sage and sulfur throughout the house, starting upstairs and working their way all the way down, and into the basement. The smoke was so thick that they said they could barely breathe. I don't know if they weren't opening windows like you're supposed to do, like you're supposed to open up everything, allowing all the energy to get out. So maybe they were just like, hotboxing themselves with sage, I don't know. Or maybe whatever entities were there were just causing it to be like that. Again, I don't have an explanation to this. They were walking around making crosses with this sage and reading out Psalm 91 as they moved throughout the house. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Latoya states that from here on, nothing happens, at least for three days. Then it got so much worse. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. 
for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. I noticed there was like horse flies on the inside porch and this was, you know, the beginning of winter. So that was very odd to me. We would lock the basement door and you would hear something hit, hit the door, boom. And you would hear dogs barking. No dog, dogs outside, no dogs. We would go look, no dogs. The family goes on to say that at this point, the Amon's children started being possessed by demons. The kids' ages range from 7, 9, and 12. They say that the children's eyes began bulging out of their head. Evil smiles would cross their faces, and even their voices got very deep. Rosa and Latoya at this point were beyond terrified. And if this is real, if this actually happened, I can completely understand why. Rosa said that the demons didn't affect her because she was born with protection from evil. Rosa said that she, like many others, have a guardian who protects them. Latoya, though, said she began to feel weak. She started getting lightheaded and even started feeling very warm, which led to her being possessed. Her body would shake, and she even felt completely out of control of her own body. I mean, I guess that's what it would be like because you're being possessed, which means you don't have control of yourself, so like, it makes sense. Now the youngest boy, who was just 7 years old at the time, he would sit in a closet talking to another boy that nobody else could see. The older boy would describe also what it felt like to be killed. Now, that's a little unusual if you haven't been killed yourself, so like the fact that he knew the ins and outs of it is a little bit odd. That'd be like me telling you how to make the perfect cordon bleu, but I don't know how to make it, so like <laughs> Google would, would be your best bet there. Rosa said that the seven-year-old also flew out of the bathroom as if somebody had picked him up and thrown him. She also stated that one time the headboard smacked the Amon's daughter causing her head to actually split open and the need for her to go get stitches. The 12-year-old would go on to later tell mental health professionals that sometimes she felt as though she was being choked and held down or making so that she couldn't speak or even move. She said she would hear a voice, a voice that told her that she would never see her family again and that she wouldn't live another 20 minutes. Some nights were even claimed to be so terrifying that the family would go and sleep at a hotel. Finally, in desperation, the family went to their family physician, Dr. Jeffrey Anyuku. Anyuku? I think I'm saying that correctly. I'm sorry if I'm not. Now, this was on April 19th of 2012, so still not far after they moved in and the events really started. Latoya said that she told him what they were going through, hoping that maybe, just maybe, he, he would understand. Dr. Anyuku would go and tell the indie star, quote, it was bizarre. The indie star is actually from Indianapolis, and it is a place that I got a lot of my information along with Wikipedia and a few other of the journalists and like, uh, I guess papers and articles that came out in Indiana all about it in 2014. This doctor also said, quote, 20 years and I've never heard anything like that in my life. I was scared myself. Then I walked into the room. 
He said that he would not speak in any more detail, really, unless LaToya had, quote, psychiatric clearance. This is known as a waiver of confidentiality. Basically, he would share more only if she signed over that it was okay, because this was her this was her private record. And she did. So in his medical notes, he stated, quote, she had delusions of ghosts in her home. And this was causing hallucinations. He also wrote history of ghost at home and history of delusional behavior. What LaToya and Rosa say happened next also is detailed in a DCS report of a family case manager's interview with medical staff. This is where chaos erupts. Perhaps even more disturbing tonight, a report out of Indiana. You may have seen this on a factor. Wait until you hear where we're taking the story. The reports suggest that demons took over a family in their home. And Trace Gallagher has the details. Trace? And Megan, the comparisons to the Amityville are notable because it was just days after the Ammon family moved into their house, they say the horror began. The black flies swarming, children being levitated, shadowy figures pacing the house. Here's the mother, listen. And I saw one like coming into full image. It was coming out of my closet. I've never seen it like that before. I would see the shadows, you know, but I've never seen it like how I'm looking at you and you're looking at me. Rosa said that Latoya's son cursed at Dr. Anyuku. He did this in strange demonic voices. Medical staff said that the youngest boy was, quote, lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him. This is actually documented in a DCS report. So this isn't just take my word for it, there were only three people in the room. This is all hospital staff that were on site, the DCF personnel, and the little boy in the family kind of a lot of people actually to witness a event that, well, shouldn't happen. Just like laws of physics, it shouldn't, but it did. The boy abruptly passed out and wouldn't come to, according to Rosa. She then cradled the boy in one of her arms as Latoya held the other. Someone from the doctor's office called 911 because of all that was going on. This was absolutely unusual and fucking terrifying. I mean, sorry they had a Ghostbusters number, so 911 was the next best thing. Dr. Anyuku even said that seven or eight police officers ended up showing up along with multiple ambulances. Quote, everybody was, that they couldn't figure out exactly what was happening. And that was from Dr. Anyuku. God, I really hope I'm saying that right. Police and emergency personnel took the boys to the Methodist Hospital campus in Gary, Indiana after all of this. Latoya said that hospital personnel began laughing at her desire to possibly anoint her sons in olive oil. Maybe to like, you know, protect them. The staff was like, <laughs> you're fucking crazy, right? Like demons? You want me to expect demons? Oh God. Latoya said, quote, I couldn't talk to them, so I decided to talk to God. Both of LaToya's boys would actually wake up in the hospital. The older boy, who was then nine, acted rationally and, and okay for what had just occurred. But the youngest began screaming and thrashing around. Rosa said that it took five grown men to hold down this seven-year-old boy. 
I have an eight-year-old and like he's a little strong for me but he's also almost my height but my boyfriend can just be like nah you're good because he's also 50 pounds and he's also never gotten violent or needed to be held back but I'm sure it, it would be as simple as like even me just putting my arm out because although I'm short I'm still taller than him which means my wingspan could stop him. But to imagine five grown men having to hold down a boy of his size or even smaller, that's just, that's bizarre. And again, it's documented. So meanwhile, during this, somebody decided at the hospital to call DCF. This person asked the agency to please investigate the Amans. They thought that there was a possibility of child abuse or even neglect. Now, the person who called wasn't named in the DCS report, but they did say that they think that maybe LaToya might have a mental illness. The person believed that the children were performing for their mother and that they believed that she was encouraging their behavior and basically telling them to do it so that she could be happy and be pleased. And of course, those are her kids. They, they want to make their mother happy. And this is what the caller said was happening. The DCS family case manager, Valerie Washington, was asked to handle the initial investigation. This is when she gave the following account to the police and in her intake officer's report. Quote, Hospital personnel examined Amon's and her children and found them to be healthy and free of marks or any bruises. A hospital psychiatrist even evaluated Amon's and determined that she was, quote, of sound mind. Valerie Washington then interviewed the family right there in the hospital. While she spoke with the Amans, the seven-year-old boy started growling with his teeth showing and bared, kind of like an animal. His eyes rolled back in his head all while this was occurring as well to add even more terror to the event. The boy then locked his hands around his older brother's throat and refused to let go. It took several adults prying his hands open to make it stop. Later that evening, Valerie and a registered nurse by the name of Willie Lee Walker brought both boys into a small examine room for an interview. Rosa would join them as well because they were minors and somebody has to be there. This is where it gets even more bizarre. Between the horror stories, the kids missing school and being injured, the family doctor and child services got involved with child services pointing the finger at mom, writing, quote, they believe the mother may have mental health concerns. They believe the children are performing for the mother and that she's encouraging the behavior. Then child services witnessed something that changed their view. The nine-year-old boy thrown against the wall with no one touching him. Then they write, quote, he had a weird grin on his face and began to walk backwards while the grandmother was holding his hand. He walked up the wall backwards. He flipped over and landed on his feet in front of the grandmother and sat down in the chair. Police also thought the story was a hoax until they went to the house and saw blinds dripping with oil and water where there was no source and a mysterious figure in a window when no one was home. So at this point, this seven-year-old little boy is in a room with few people and his grandmother so there's a few witnesses and what's about to go down is absolutely bizarre and fully documented 
This seven-year-old little boy began staring into his brother's eyes and started to growl again. It's time to die. I can't talk in a deep voice. <laughs> I was trying to bring my voice deep and say what this little seven-year-old boy is saying in a deep, guttural voice. And I can't do it. But what he says is, quote, it's time to die and I will kill you. I know it's not as intimidating and scary in my voice, but imagine it in a very deep and I can't do it, but you know what I'm saying. So while this seven-year-old little boy is, is speaking like a grown man in a demonic tone, the older brother starts headbutting his grandmother Rosa in the stomach. Rosa grabs her grandson's hands and starts praying. I mean, what else can you do? What happens next would absolutely astonish the witnesses. And to some, it would offer not only evidence, but proof of the paranormal activity that all of them were claiming. According to Valerie Washington's original DCS report, an account corroborated by Walker the nurse, the nine-year-old had a weird grin and started walking backwards up the wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over Rosa and landed on his feet. He never let go of his grandmother's hand during this. And I know someone out there is gonna say, well, she was holding his hand, so obviously she was giving him balance. I don't give a shit if two people were holding my hands for balance. My ass cannot walk up a wall onto the ceiling and do a backflip down. But I don't know, maybe you can. Now, the nurse who was in the room would actually go on record to say that there was absolutely no way that this little boy could have done that. Later, the police would ask Valerie Washington whether the boy had possibly like ran up the wall. Maybe like performing some sort of acrobatic trick that obviously he learned because that's what nine-year-olds do in their spare time, learn acrobats. Of course, Valerie was like, <laughs> no, dude, no. She said that the boy, quote, glided backward on the floor, the wall, and then the ceiling. And this is documented in the official police report as well. Valerie also told the police that she was so scared when it happened that she ran out of the room along with the nurse who ran right out alongside her. Valerie says that it was absolutely crazy. She had no idea what exactly had just gone on. All she knew is that she wanted to get out of there and she thought that everybody else needed to as well. According to her report, she also told the doctor exactly what she had witnessed, what had happened. The doctor who did not believe any of it had occurred. He then turned around, looked at the little boy and said, "Hey." Why don't you go ahead and walk up the wall again? Show me this parlor trick. The boy then said that he didn't remember what had happened and that he was sorry, but he couldn't do it again. At least this is all according to Valerie's DCS report. The nurse who said he previously believed in demons and spirits. Well, this nurse thought that the boy's behavior had, quote, some demonic spirit attached to it. He also said that he believes it could possibly be the result of a mental illness. A police report quoted Valerie saying that she believed that there could be a quote, evil influence that was affecting the family. I don't know what you're thinking so far, but we have still only begun. Charles Austin saying, quote, every one of us who was there that day in the basement and who saw what we saw, we all think the same. We call it the same. That bit of dirt is a portal to hell. The family called a local priest. 
Father Michael Maginot, who was convinced demons had possessed the mother. He tried to contact the demons through three exorcisms. Here's the priest. It was pretty much without incident until we get to the part of your name and you asked for its name. Now, so far she's always been silent. So, and I said, is your name whatever? And then all of a sudden she started convulsing and such. So, so now once you have a name, you kind of attack it. Latoya decided to stay at the hospital with her seven-year-old. Her mother, Rosa, took Latoya's daughter and her older son to a relative's house in Gary. The next day, however, was the youngest son's eighth birthday. So the siblings came back to the hospital so they could celebrate and they did so by singing and eating cake and just kind of having a pretty nice day with all that had already happened. However, while the family was celebrating and just enjoying themselves to the best that they could in the hospital, Valerie would approach LaToya and tell her, you are not taking your kids home, I'm sorry. You see, DCS had taken the emergency step of taking custody of the children without a court order. Quote, all of the children were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress, as stated by Valerie herself in her DCS report. As you can imagine, not just for LaToya, but for her children, this was devastating. Whatever had been going on, whatever terror they had been experiencing, ripping those kids from their mother, I do not believe was the answer. However, DCS sure did. I am now going to introduce a new character into the tale, and that is Reverend Michael Maggio. So Michael was leading a Bible study in his living room the morning of April 20th, 2012, when he received a phone call from the hospital chaplain. Michael had been the priest at St. Stephen Martyr Parish, and he had done so for more than 10 years, but had never ever received any sort of request that was like this one. The chaplain asked him to perform an exorcism on Latoya's nine-year-old son. Michael agreed to just interview the family after mass on Sunday and maybe just like see how it goes from there before he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do an exorcism on a child. The first step for Mr. Maggio was, of course, ruling out any natural causes for what LaToya and her family were experiencing. He visited the house right there on Carolina Street on April 22nd of 2012. For two hours, LaToya and Rosa detailed all of the phenomena that they had experienced for him. Then, Rosa interrupted the interview to point out flickering lights that were happening in the bathroom. However, the flickering stopped when Michael walked over to investigate, which he stated had to be due to demonic presence. He would actually go on record and tell media outlets whenever asked about all of this that he believed this demonic entity was scared of him, you know, because he was a man of the cloth. The interview was interrupted again when Rosa pointed out that the Venetian blinds in the kitchen were swinging, even though there was nothing to cause this movement. Michael also made a very, uh, a very interesting observance. He said that he saw wet, large footprints throughout the living room. As you can recall, Rosa saw those a time back. Latoya complained about having a headache, and Michael said that she started convulsing whenever he would place a crucifix up against her head, leading him to believe that maybe a demon was inside of her and just didn't like him being there. 
After a four-hour interview, Michael said that he was convinced this house was absolutely being plagued by demons. He said that he believed that there were also ghosts in there as well. Michael then blessed the house before he left, praying and reading from the Bible as he sprinkled holy water in each room. He also told LaToya and her mother that they should leave the house for a while because it is not safe. And this led them to temporarily move in with a relative. But again, we are still not done. Marissa Kwiatkowski is with me now. Marissa, good to see you. Let me start with this. After all the interviews you did of independent third-party witnesses and so on, do you believe the story? It's not my job to believe or disbelieve this story. I will leave that to others. It's not your job, but what do you think? I'm asking you. I mean, were you persuaded at all? It's not my job to be persuaded either way. My job is to report the facts as they were told to me and to let people draw their own conclusions, and I wrote it that way deliberately. Well, let me ask you this. You've got, you've got a police captain saying he believes. You interviewed, did you interview the people who claimed to have seen the boy walking backwards up the wall? I interviewed the registered nurse who witnessed or says he witnessed the boy walking backward up the wall. I did not interview the Department of Child Services caseworker. However, I had her report from that incident. And did, did, did she claim to see it as well? She claimed to see it as well, yes. Do you have any reason to doubt their, their accounts? I mean, as a reporter, you always go in skeptical. I think they believe it, yes. Are these, is there any reason that you uncovered to doubt them? In other words, any history of uh, their relationship with the truth, any performance complaints, that kind of thing? Good question, no. There weren't any sorts of situations that gave me pause. People in credible positions doing typical work and, um, you know, nothing to report. How many eyewitnesses were there to the, to the you know, so-called possessed behavior other than the mother? Because, you know, the mother may or may not have had issues. There was a psychologist saying uh, she's got some issues and the kids are basically performing for her. How many people outside of the family who are verifying these accounts? You mean in the hospital or outside of the hospital? Anybody outside of the family? Uh, it would take me a bit of time to count, but at least five or six people who say they witnessed things that were strange. Is there any audio or visual? There are not audio or visual representations of the boy walking up the wall or the levitation. Um, there are photos of things that police saw while they were in the home, but nothing, you know, no demons or paranormal or anything like that. At this point, the family has left because a priest was like, you need to get out, okay? There's some scary shit going on in there and it's just not safe for you. However, within less than a week, they were back at the Carolina Street home. This was to allow Valerie, the DCS family case manager, to check the condition of this house. In case you have no idea, this is actually what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to make sure that the, the residence for the children are staying is safe and there's no neglect. They have food, they have heat, they have, they have everything that they need in order to be secure and safe. So this is absolutely normal for them to come by and do like, you know, a, a, I guess a welfare check or like check out, I don't really know, but this is normal for them. They check out where the children are supposed to be living, especially when there are cases being made that it's haunted by demons. I'm sure DCF is like, 
we should go look, or DCS, whatever it's called, I'm sorry. There's different names for it in different states. There's CPS, there's DCF, there's DCS, there's just, it's a bunch. In Florida, it's called DCF. So yeah, it's confusing. Now, Valerie showed up to the house along with a Lake County police officer. Two other officers, one from Gary and the Hammond Police Departments, asked to join them out of, quote, professional curiosity. I mean, I guess it's not every day you hear that there's a case of demons just hanging out in a house, so I get it. Latoya, however, absolutely refused to go into the house. But Rosa was like, okay, you know what? I got you, let's go inside, let me show you what's going on. So she took the group into the house. At this point, I do want it to be known that the children were still in DCS's custody. So this main floor had three bedrooms, a living room, and a bathroom. There were hardwood floors and a small open like style kitchen, kind of, you know, like you can see into the rest of the house. There was also a door in the kitchen that led downstairs into the basement with concrete floors. Directly under the stairs was a dirt floor. The concrete surrounding this area was jagged and a bit broken. Just, you know, kind of older, had signs of wear and tear and age and incompletion. Of course, you could see the clearly visible makeshift altar that Latoya had created because it was still sitting in its place, along with several rings of salt that she had poured against the basement's walls. This was in order to like dissuade the demons or like keep them out because salt is supposed to keep them at bay. They cannot cross it according to lore. Rosa then told officers that demons seemed to emanate from beneath the stairs. This seemed to be the main source of where, I guess, this portal was? And this Gary police captain I mentioned earlier was one of the officers that was curious and showed up. He did state that he did believe in ghosts and the supernatural, but he wasn't really a believer in demons. I mean, I guess until he entered foot in this house. And I say that because he went on record stating, no, I'm totally a believer after I went in there. Now, also during this interview with Rosa, one of the officer's audio recorders began to malfunction. And I feel that maybe this is probably the closest we have to like audio evidence besides whatever Zach Baggins did get. So as documented by the police records, power to a light began flashing on the recorder, indicating that the batteries were dying. Even though before every single time they have to use recorders, they must check batteries and if not having full power, need to replace them so that stuff like this doesn't happen in the middle of a very important recording. Kind of messes with the flow of things. So they knew they had just put in fresh brand new batteries, yet here they were dying as if they were drained within moments of being used. Another officer also recorded audio, and when he played it back, he heard what sounded like an unknown person saying, hey, and you can hear that. But this, again, is still only the beginning of all the experiences that would start to be documented and witnessed. After follow-up segment tonight, last night, we told you about a nine-year-old Indiana boy who apparently was doing some very shocking things, so much so that exorcism was involved. The Indianapolis Star, that state's biggest newspaper, is heavily covering the story, and a captain in the Gary, Indiana Police Force, Charles Austin, says the situation is credible. That is incredible. Incredible. 
So, as you can imagine, with official reports and now a few different departments of police documenting this shit, we're about to enter some very bizarre territory. And please, hold on to your butts because it really does get a little bit weird, it's gonna get spooky. Which is totally perfect because today is Halloween, so like, bring on the spookies. So the officers also began taking photos of the house. And in one photo of the basement stairs, there was a kind of cloudy white image in the upper right-hand corner. When an officer enlarged that photo, the cloud appeared to sort of resemble a face. At least this is what the Lake County Police records states that they're seeing. This enlargement also revealed a second green image that police say looked kind of like a female specter. The captain said that the photos he snapped with his iPhone also seemed to have a strange silhouette or silhouettes multiple in them. The radio in his police-issued Ford also began to malfunction on his way home from this event. Later, he also stated that the garage at his Gary house refused to even open when he arrived, even though the power was on and he was hitting the button. It was just like, nah. I'm not doing it. Which I do want to say, side note, might not actually be paranormal. I have a garage door and sometimes that thing is just like, no. And it's it's not because of a demon. In fact, it's, it's just a piece of, you know, like technical stuff that has errors because not all technology is perfect. But hey, it, it could have been demonic. I don't know. I'm not going to invalidate his experience. It could have been spooky. I don't know. I just know that happens to me a few times and I, I don't I don't think it's a demon. He did also state that later on in his personal vehicle, the driver's seat started moving backward and forward all on its own. Which again, I just gotta say, it could just be like a break in the mechanism because that also happens. But again, I don't want to say it wasn't demonic. Maybe the demon was like, nope, you gotta be closer. Oh, that's too close. Back it up. He did, however, say that he had his car checked at a dealership and that the mechanic told him that the motor on the driver's seat was broken, which the mechanic said could have caused a distraction leading to an accident. So thankfully, he brought it in and got it fixed. However, all of this caused this police captain to go from a kind of like believer in ghosts to really believing what LaToya and her family were dealing with. However, the mental health professionals that were evaluating LaToya and her children, yeah, they kind of remained a bit more skeptical. Joining us now from Chicago, Father Michael Maginot, Catholic priest who has been dealing with the situation. So, Father, I want to keep this fact-based, what you know, what you saw, what you did. Let's start with the boy. What do you know about him? Actually, I have never met any of the children. The first time I heard about the incident was when, the, at, just after the boy walked up the wall backwards, um, there was a furor there, uh, people running out, calling for the police, security, the chaplain. He called me. I was in my uh, parish uh, uh, conducting a Bible study core class and I got the call because I was on call for the uh, Catholic priest chaplain who was off at that time and they called me in to do an exorcism and I okay, said, let's, let, let, well, me, let me stop you there. Exorcism is, okay. is, is a very rare and serious thing mm-hmm. that the Catholic yes. Church and, and you have to go through a lot of hoops to, to get it approved to get the people in. It, it disturbs yes. me a little bit that the boy 
involved, and this is according to the newspaper and other eyewitnesses, you know, was, was doing incredible things like walking up walls and things like that. But mm -hmm. you yourself, yes. you yourself never talked to the boy. Uh, why not? Well, when I went, went to uh, do the interview at the, the home with the mother and the grandmother, I, it was a four-hour interview. And the first uh, two hours were basically just uh, getting information of all the occurrences and phenomena that was surrounding everything leading up to that incident at, at the emergency room in the hospital. The problem I'm having with this is, number one, you didn't see the boy. I think yeah. the, the credibility of the Catholic Church is, is in a tough way now in this country. Exorcism is a very serious thing very very serious mm -hmm. I understand mm -hmm. you got permission from the bishop in your diocese mm -hmm. to do this mm -hmm. but it just seems to me that the story is not solid enough to go public with it and there are a lot of people watching right now that say this is more mumbo-jumbo from the Roman Catholic Church and no credibility here at all how would you answer that well, the boys, the two boys and the girl were, one was put into a lockdown psychological children's um, ward, and the other two were taken to the Carmelite sisters who take care of foster children. And so they were taken away from the parents and uh, from the mother and the grandmother. And, uh, and so I didn't have access to them. And I discovered in the investigation that the mother was also possessed, mainly at the end, very end. I put the crucifix on her forehead and she began to convulse. As a Catholic priest for many years, you believe that there is something unworldly involved with this family. You do believe that? Mm -hmm. All right, Bob. Yeah, I do. I'm going to stop it there and we appreciate your time very much. Thank you. This is when this eight-year-old boy's stories became, quote, bizarre and fragmented and often illogical, which was stated in Stacy Wright's report. She said that his stories would change every time that he told them. He also changed the subject, quizzing Stacy on math problems and asked her if she knew much about outer space. Quote, can you die if you go to space, he asked her, or quote, how do you get to space, or do you have to wear a helmet and a suit? Just typical, like, odd questions, but totally normal for a child who's curious. Stacy believed that the eight-year-old didn't suffer from any true psychotic disorder. Quote, this appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been induced into a delusional system perpetuated by his mother and potentially reinforced, which is what she wrote in her psychological evaluation. Clinical psychologist Joel Swartz, who also evaluated Latoya's daughter and older son, came to a very similar conclusion as well. Quote, there also appears to be a need to assess the extent to which Latoya's daughter may have been unduly influenced by her mother's concerns that the family was exposed to paranormal experiences. That is just a piece from Joel's assessment. Latoya's daughter told Joel that she saw shadowy figures in the Carolina Street home. She also told him that she went into trances two different times. 
and Latoya's older son told him that the doors in their house would slam and stuff could be seen moving around on its own. Latoya, of course, herself was also examined several times by psychologists, who said that they believe that she was, quote, guarded, but didn't exactly seem to be, quote, experiencing symptoms of psychosis or thought disorder. Now, one psychologist did recommend that Latoya should be assessed. Now, this psychologist actually really wanted this because they believe that Latoya's religious beliefs and background may be contributing to an underlying delusional ideation. I ideation? I ideation. I don't know why, but looking at the word really looks odd. I use the word often, but it looks weird when you just look at it spelled out. It doesn't, it doesn't feel correct. So many people that were psychologically evaluating Latoya believe that there was a possibility that her religious beliefs may be adding to her, quote, delusions, causing what would be known as perceptual disturbances. Latoya and all three kids continued to insist that they were, in fact, being possessed by demons. DCS at this point began setting goals for the family. One of them stipulated that the children, quote, not discuss demons and being possessed and take responsibility for their actions. Which, side note, super fucked up. I don't believe you should invalidate somebody and their experiences because you weren't there and you can be in the same room as somebody and your story because your point of view is still completely different. It's kind of fucked up of us to invalidate people and their experiences because we just don't believe it. And that just means that we're assholes and too selfish or naive to believe others and their experiences. Anyways, so DCF officials credited Latoya for sharing a close bond with her children. The agency also also said that she needed to use alternate forms of discipline not directly related to any sort of religion or threatening demonic possession, which I don't think she did, but this is what they were believing. According to the DCS case plan, appropriate discipline included encouragement, rules, and withholding privileges, and also that she could work on goals with her children during supervised visits. Latoya also had to find a job and appropriate housing quote, due to all of the paranormal activity. So I love how they don't believe that there's paranormal activity, but also say that they can't go back to that house because of the paranormal activity. It's just fucking weird, right? Talk about making a narrative work to your advantage. Anyways, at this point, Latoya was working on meeting these objectives, all while police and DCS officials continued to investigate all of the strange happenings that were going on in the house. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, you have a little bonus there, or if you have seen it, you, regardless, you have a bonus there. There's going to be a one-hour uh, lost footage special. And this one-hour special, immediately following the Demon House premiere, is footage that was never in the documentary. You know, this was such a long investigation for me, and it was so unique me it was so different than any other investigations on ghost adventures and it wasn't just because of how long that i had to investigate it it was just how this house how this haunting how these entities affected people at this point another visit is occurring and the group to show up was a little bit larger this time 
Rosa, Latoya, Charles, and two other police officers from the initial visit went back to the Carolina Street home on the afternoon of May 10th, 2012. The police officers that came to check it out actually did this after work hours. This is how curious they were. They were joined by Michael Magino and two Lake County officers with a police dog and a DCS family case manager by the name of Samantha Elak or Lilak. I'm not positive. Could also be Lick. I could be wrong. Again, some of this stuff I only have from reading and finding sources that are only written. Some of these people are not even mentioned or spoken about in any of the media coverage. So I just gotta guess that I'm saying it correctly. Samantha, if you ever hear this and I'm incorrect, I'm so sorry. So Samantha, who was there in an official capacity, would go on to say that she actually volunteered to go in as Valerie couldn't because, well, Valerie just didn't want to go back to the house anymore. Which again, side note, really kind of makes me giggle because DCF took away the kids because they believed that there was abuse and neglect because of these claims and said that they believe the kids were just doing it for their mom. Yet. They're afraid to enter the house because of paranormal activity. What the fuck is it, guys? I mean, do you believe them or not? Like, they're really making the narrative work to their favor, taking the kids away and causing problems for Latoya and her family, yet not believing, I don't know. Anyways, a county officer took his police dog around the house. However, the dog didn't show any interest in any, like, particular area. While this was going on, everybody else that was there decided to head down into the basement where a lot of the activity was. Samantha touched some strange liquid that she saw dripping in the basement and said that it felt slippery yet kind of sticky between her fingers. Side note, do not be like Samantha and touch strange and bizarre liquid that you have no idea where it's coming from or what the fuck it could be. I, I just, I mean, I feel like that goes without saying, but apparently it needed to be said. Now, Michael told police that he wanted to check out the dirt that was under the stairs. Maybe see if there was like a hidden pentagram or possible personal objects that might have been cursed. He said a pentagram might indicate a demonic presence and possible portal to hell, at least all according to the Lake County Police report. It was also possibly even believed that if somebody had died in the house and could have been buried under the stairs, it could explain the possible paranormal activity according to Michael. One of the police officers did end up digging a four foot by three foot hole beneath the stairs, and they did unearth a pink press on nail, a white pair of panties, a political shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with the buttons cut off below the ankles, candy wrappers, and a heavy metal object that kind of looked like a, like a drapery cord. And this is all in the police records. However, that was all they found. Nothing else was in the dirt. So they then replaced the dirt and just raked it back over. With having their hands empty in, in a way, without any explanation of what could be causing all of this, they were yet again left at square one. Scared the shit out of me. That scared the fucking shit. I'm not gonna lie to you right now. When that fucking door opened and that fucking girl man was standing there, like for a second behind the iPod, I fucking screamed like a little girl. Did you hear me call for Zach? Like, yeah. I was like, fuck, dude, this it guy. Yo, yo, it doesn't, it doesn't want me. It wants him? Yeah, it wants you. That shit scared me. Like, it wasn't just like, it was like the thing that. The first thing that I thought was, 
this is real. Michael would use some salt to, to bless this area, which he said was a barrier to the evil. He would go on to spread it under the stairs and throughout the rest of the basement. Samantha said that she was later standing in the living room with the rest of the group when her left pinky finger started to tingle and it started to turn white. She actually went on to say that it felt as though it had been broken. Less than 10 minutes after this, Samantha said she felt as if she was having a severe panic attack. She said that she was unable to breathe and she had to step outside and just stand there and wait for the rest of the group. When the priest started to question Latoya inside the house, she would then start complaining of a severe headache and shoulder pain, at least according to the police records. She also decided to step out of the house and join Samantha and wait outside. Charles Austin, the police captain, said that he left the house this time around nightfall. Now, what gets me is this is a police captain who has investigated murders, rapes, and so many more just heinous things. But he absolutely refused to stay in this house past dark. The other officers who continued to walk through the home, on the main floor, they noticed an oil-like substance that was dripping from, again, the Venetian blinds. However, this was occurring in the bedroom, and they couldn't seem to figure out where it was coming from. And again, this is all documented in police records. Now, I do want to share this just to make sure that possibly Latoya or Rosa hadn't, like, poured the oil on the blinds. Two of the officers actually used paper towels just to clean it all off. They then sealed the room, made sure nobody entered inside for about 25 minutes, and they stood right nearby so that they'd make sure nobody entered. When they went back into the room, the oil had reappeared. Michael told police that the liquid was a manifestation of paranormal or possible demonic presence. So Michael would actually go on to write a detailed report all about his findings, and then he would ask a bishop by the name of Dale Melschex, I'm not even sure I'm saying that correct, but he asked this bishop for permission to perform an exorcism on Latoya. And this is where exorcism is entering. And again, we are still not done. This is what it all comes down to. There was a face. It doesn't want me. It wants you. I once again find myself with Zach Bagans in the Haunted Museum, this time not specifically talking about the museum, but Demon House, which opens this week. And it's good to see you again. Good to see you, Jeff. I, I must say, I've seen your documentary film three times now, and maybe I shouldn't have done that. Three times. <laughs> three times. That's an interesting number, too. Yeah. And at the beginning of this film, there's a disclaimer that says, view at your own risk. And that's why I say, maybe I shouldn't have watched it so many times, but it's that compelling. Let's talk about that disclaimer. Why view at your own risk? I don't use that as like a, a, a marketing ploy or something like that. When I first arrived to investigate this case, um, I was intrigued by how many credible sources there were to experience things. And these were with people that, that, that didn't have anything to gain by coming out and saying this. These were police officers, captains, chiefs of police from three different jurisdictions, child protective services, everyone. Um, but Captain Charles Austin with the Gary Police Department looked at me in my eyes and he said, the forces inside this house affect men electronically and women physically. 
And as I started investigating, and this was over the course of three years, I started noticing that these forces had the power to manipulate electronic devices, change the settings in two different DVR systems and security systems that we put in the house. The owner of that company for 30 years says he's never seen anything like that. And for that to happen Mm -hmm. at two different systems, cell phones, everything, it was as if they were using these electronic devices and, and could manipulate them and could travel through electricity and it was really bizarre. But whenever I spoke about these forces, Things would happen around me and others. And mm-hmm. that's why I say whenever I'm talking about it, whenever I was watching it, editing the film, things would happen to me, around me, and other people. Michael said that Dale had never actually authorized an exorcism in his 21 years of being a bishop. Debbie Bosack, a director of communications for the diocese, said that she cannot comment on whether Dale has ever approved an exorcism for confidentiality reasons. Dale initially denied Michael's request to do a church-sanctioned exorcism. Michael said that the bishop told Michael to contact other priests who have performed exorcisms. This is when Michael said that he needed other priests to give him the ritual for a minor exorcism, which doesn't actually require any church approval. The priest that he consulted told him to look it up on the internet because that's where you find everything. Again, I just love how the church is like, oh, you want my help? You can Google it. Dude, leave me the fuck alone. He did go on and said that he did his very own intense blessing of the Carolina Street House. He did this in order, in hopes actually, not in order, but in hopes to expel this demonic entity and the evil spirits. That same day that Michael performed a minor exorcism, he did so as well on Latoya. The ritual consisted of prayers and statements and appeals in order to try to cast out the demons. Two other police officers and Samantha, the DCF family case manager, also would attend this ritual. Samantha said that she left believing that something had to have been going on. Although she couldn't and wouldn't go as far as to say that it was demonic, she said that she got chills during the nearly two-hour rite. Quote, We felt like somebody was in the room with you, like somebody was breathing down your neck. That is directly from Samantha. She did say that she had a string of medical problems after she visited that house. A week after she went to the house for the last time, Samantha said she got third degree burns from a motorcycle. And within 30 days, she also broke three ribs jet skiing, broke a hand when she hit a table, and then broke an ankle running in flip-flops. Hold on, let me just, let me just, let me just say something. I don't personally know or believe that those could be related. I'm a clumsy bitch, and I'm not gonna say that it's paranormal. However, jet skiing, you know you can get hurt. So, I mean, that could just happen. Also, we know that, well, cars and motorcycles can burn you because of the exhaust, and that's really easy on a motorcycle. If you're not watching your legs, you could burn yourself on the exhaust pipe. And I'm really not trying to knock out these claims, I'm just trying to put logic into it as well. Not everything that's unexplainable or just bizarre is paranormal. Now, another thing, you know, with the breaking a hand, you hit a table. What did you think was going to happen? It was going to tickle? And lastly, running in flip-flops. Listen, I live in Florida. Flip-flops is year-round attire. You don't fucking run in them. Come on. Come on. 
Come on. You're just asking for it, Ben. Now, again, I do not want to invalidate any of this. And if she does believe that everything she experienced was due to the evil presence that was in the house that, again, they deny even was haunted because that is what CPS says, then okay. If the narrative fits you, then fine. But again, they were claiming that they did not believe that there was any paranormal stuff in this house. That they believed the mother was possibly mentally ill and making her children do these things. Yet, the personnel that were involved directly with CPS and documenting it refused to go back to the house and then had their own, quote, paranormal instances. It's just all rather bizarre. During the course of this very interview, at least the preparation for it, we've had issues with our focus and our lighting, so no surprise that here we are standing in front of the room here at the Haunted Museum where you can see artifacts collected from the Demon House from Gary, Indiana, which you tore down. Mm -hmm. And by the way, can I just say, my mom is a very spiritual person, and she doesn't want me doing this interview. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want me here talking about this topic. And she said, why would Zach put himself in a position like that, locked inside a house with 200 demons? What are you searching for? Uh, I'm searching for things that a lot of people don't believe in. Um, and when you try searching for things that are so unexplained and so non-human and biblical, there are risks involved. Nobody knows the true answers. I don't know the true answers, but danger, chaos, it, it runs through my blood. And the investigator inside of me wants to challenge that and, and, and take those risks. And I did suffer the wrath of, of one of those risks, and that's the reason why I'm wearing these prism glasses right now, because after I was locked in the house, I, I just wanted to face it myself. I saw it affect everybody else, but the day after that I got out of that house, my eyes crossed and I began seeing double vision. I immediately got back to Vegas. I went to four different doctors here in Las Vegas and in Los Angeles because they tested me for a possible neurological condition. This could be the onset of it. All those tests came back negative. They were unable to explain how this occurred. Mm -hmm. And the timing of that, I can't ignore when you calculate all the other different people, Dr. Barry Taff, the police officers, everybody else that were affected by something through illness, bad luck, uh, near death. At the end of the day, though, you have to measure your quality of life versus your passion. I do. But look, everybody does things that are dangerous. Race car drivers love to drive cars and go fast because it's in their blood, but they face the risk of death. Um, police officers do what they do and look how dangerous their jobs are. Right. Um, what I'm doing, there is risk. Whether you believe in this kind of thing or not, um, when you watch the film, you will see uh, how many different people became affected by visiting the house. And my investigation was very different from a typical Ghost Adventures episode because my investigation started focusing in on the people. The house was like a contagious disease. And when anybody went inside of that house, mm. um, they would leave and they would have symptoms and they didn't know when those symptoms would arise and how serious they would be. And that was remarkable. So 
After this minor ritual, Michael told Latoya to look up the names of demons that were tormenting her. Each demon has its own name and personality, at least according to Michael. The name of the demon holds power, and he planned to use those names in order to fight the demons during these exorcisms. Latoya said that her and a friend began looking up all of the demons' names online by searching for demons that represented the problems that the family had been having. Now, during this research, they said that the computer kept shutting down, and Latoya also started to feel as though she was getting sick. But she did say that she found the names that fit. Warning, I'm gonna go ahead and say one of them. One of those names is that of Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. Latoya claimed that this was one of those entities in her home. She said that she also found names of demons that torture and hurt children, which she felt explained what was happening to her kids in that house. Latoya said that there were other high-ranking demons as well. She said that there were two high-ranking ones that were actually assigned to her. They were considered to be lieutenants or like sergeants of the demonic underworld, of, of Satan's army. After the minor rite on the house, Michael said that Dale gave him permission to go on and exercise Latoya as well. The ritual is the same as the minor exorcism, but more powerful because it was backed by the Catholic Church. I don't understand why that makes this whole thing more powerful. Is it like Tinkerbell? Like, you've got to believe in order for it to do anything? I don't know. The demons out here are like, they don't believe in me. <laughs> I'm just gonna die. Like, okay, cool. Stop believing and no more demonic activity. I don't really know how it goes. Anyways, so at this point, Michael would ultimately go on to perform three major exorcisms on Latoya, two of which were done in English and the last one in Latin. This was in June of 2012 at his church. Michael said that during these exorcisms, he would go on to praise God and he would condemn the devil. He would press a crucifix against Latoya's head as he would speak. <clears throat> I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all your fell companions in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or, or something like that. I, I may be ordained, but I don't know how to vanquish a demon, so that was my best attempt. Now, Michael said that his voice continued to get louder and louder and more forceful until the demon weakened. He said that he could tell just how strong the demon was that was inside of Latoya by how much she convulsed. That sounds like she's having a seizure, my dude. Now, two police officers who had kept in touch with Michael since the home investigation began. And these uh, two police officers that came along, they had to stay nearby Latoya just in case during this she needed to be, uh, you know, restrained. And by the way, you might have heard that, sorry, my fingernail just hit the mic as I'm recording and I don't want to edit it because I'm already like several hours into this. I'm so sorry. Trying to get this done before I take my son trick-or-treating tonight. So I'm just trying to power through this. Now, Latoya said that she was praying with Michael during all of this exorcism, all until it became extremely painful for her. She said she felt as if something inside of her was trying to hold on and inflict some serious pain all internally at the same time. She said it was different though from like natural pain. It felt so intense. She said it was almost like giving birth. And if you've ever pushed a child out of your hoo-ha, that shit fucking hurts. 
Eventually, Michael said that Latoya would fall asleep. This was said to be the demon's way of like lessening the ritual's effect. Basically, the demon was like, all right, nighty night, bitch, you can't bother me now. And laid Latoya down to sleep. And all of a sudden, that was it. want to interject right here before we continue to the next segment that is actually a clip caught by zach baggins that is claimed to be one of the demons making noise in the demon house that was caught during an investigation done by zach himself So in between the second and third exorcisms that were going on, Michael actually took a vacation in a sense. Went on a little retreat. I mean, I would too, dealing with demons. I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna go to the beach for a while. Get my mojito on. I say that like I drink. Yeah, I barely drink anymore. So like, that was a joke. Anyways, Michael was out and about, getting away from all things evil for a while. During this, he had a woman who assisted him to make sure that while he was gone, the case that involved Latoya, in case it like encountered any problems, well, it could be handled. This woman wrote a long demon name. Michael says that he just can't remember which one it was. However, she wrote this on a piece of paper and tucked it into an envelope. Then she surrounded it with blessed salt. If Latoya would go on to have any problems, the woman would burn the envelope. By this time, Latoya and her mother had moved to Indianapolis, but they drove back for the exorcisms and court hearings. As during all of this, her children were still in DCS care. So Michael said that he blessed the family's new house in order to prevent any of these problems from like, you know, following them. However, Latoya called while Michael was on his little retreat and she complained that she was having bad dreams. So that unknown woman then burned the envelope. She saved the ashes to burn later in a church bonfire. After that, Latoya said her nightmares ended. In the final exorcism at the end of June, Michael said that he prayed and berated the demons in Latin rather than in English. Because apparently, side note, demons speak in Latin and not English. Therefore, they are bound by it. Also, side note, <laughs> why do we think that angelic or demonic entities speak in a language that we would even fucking know? I'm just wondering. It's not like they're confined by the world's linguistics. Just, just gotta say that. Anyways, so police officers during this final exorcism didn't actually attend. This meant that Michael had to get somebody else to be there and he got his brother to stand guard. Michael said that Latoya convulsed while he condemned the demons, but did not convulse during the prayer. When she finally fell asleep, he said the words of thanksgiving. We are gathered here to enjoy this feast. I'm just kidding. It would be the last time that Latoya saw Michael. She and her mother drove back to Indianapolis where they said that they are now living without any fear. Latoya's old house on Carolina Street became the object of a local curiosity, so much so that the owner and landlord, Charles Reed, called the Gary Police Department to ask officers to stop driving by the house because it was scaring his new tenant. 
He said that there were no problems inside the house before or after LaToya and her family lived there. Quote, I thought I'd heard it all. You see, he's been a landlord at that point for about 33 years, and I'm sure as a landlord, you hear and see some shit. Quote, This was a new one to me. My belief system has a hard time jumping over that bridge. When told of the Catholic Church's involvement in the situation, however, he said that it made this a little bit less of a skeptical situation for him. LaToya would actually go on to regain custody of her three children in November of 2012. This is about six months after they had been removed from her care. DCS did continue to check in on the children and make sure that they were going to school until the case was closed. The children actually said that they felt safe after they left the house right there on Carolina Street. LaToya also went on record and said that it wasn't the psychologist who would end up solving her problems. Instead, she said it was God. Quote, when you hear something like this, don't assume it's not real because I've lived it. I know it's real. I'm Zach Bagans. I'm one of the world's leading researchers on ghosts and demonology. And this film is cursed. A story about a demon possession makes international news. Now look at one of the most documented cases of demon possession and exorcism in recent history. The next day over the phone, I buy the house, sight unseen. In my 37 years of police investigation, I've never run into anything like that before. I just got the keys to the demon house. You think it's dangerous for me to be in that house? I wouldn't be there. She had holes in both her wrists, it was like little cuts. They called 911. They called 911. They did. There was an unidentifiable voice. I only heard it on the recording. Who in there? Something came back. I don't know if it was that demon, but something came back. I put the crucifix on her head. She began convulsing. It was a sick, a great back. Are you sure you What just happened? You attacked Jay. If people are making this up, I'm going to catch him. Why is it spiking? We were just around my house and we see three police cars. This is what it all comes down to. There was a face. It doesn't want me. It wants you. we are technically at the end of this podcast, I do need to end it by saying that Zach Baggins did actually buy the demon house, or what was known as the demon house. He did buy it over the phone, sight unseen, went in and did some investigating of his own. You can actually see a movie, which I've played the trailer of, and had some interviews of him discussing. If you haven't seen Demon House, I do recommend it. It is actually very, very good. Again, I am biased because I do genuinely enjoy this sort of stuff, so don't take my word for it. You should just check it out. Or if you don't want to watch it, do your own research all about the Indiana Demon House and the Amon's case. 
It is absolutely bizarre, bewildering, and incredible. But that is the story I have for you today. A very real, documented case of a haunting or a demonic possession or multiple possessions, however you'd like to look at it. The Demon House case or the Amon's haunting is absolutely baffling. With such bizarre and outlandish, just hard to believe claims, yet several witnesses with documentation, it's just... It's mind-boggling. Is it real? Is it true? Did it happen? Were these events actually occurring? Or is this just a case of people wanting attention and monetary gain? Who knows? I leave that up to you. Anyways, I hope you guys have a wonderful Halloween and rest of your week. And I really hope that you enjoyed this episode of What the Actual Left that was all about the Demon House. I love you guys so much and I do enjoy meeting you here as much as I can to tell you all of the tales I have for you. Thank you for continuing to come here and support my content that I create. I know from time to time I do not show up weekly like I would love to and I apologize for that dearly. I am doing my best and I'm just, I'm going through some stuff right now and I'll be here as much as I can. If you do miss me just too much and you can't wait until the next episode, please feel free to follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching Harmony Miller. I'm, I'm right there. I pop up. I'm a public figure. You can't miss me. You can also find me on Instagram at oh, hey, it's Harmony. And the same goes for TikTok. By the way, there are almost 300,000 of you on TikTok that follow me, and I just gotta say thank you. I love you all so much, and I'm about to hit 10,000 on Instagram, so Anyways, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now I have to go because I've got to get ready and dress up as Poppy so that my son and I and my little family can go trick-or-treating. You guys stay safe and happy Halloween. Also, next week when I arrive to tell you a tale, I will be one year older. My birthday is coming up this Saturday and I will be 36 years old. I know I'm getting old, but I love it. I definitely do not want to be a young child, not in this world. I would not want to grow up knowing that the cost of living is just going to get even worse. It's already stressful out here. Anyways, so if you would like to be awesome and send me a happy birthday message, you can do that on my social media as mentioned earlier. Or maybe you can just send me a little email at what's the actual EFF harmony at gmail.com. I would say you could send me something to my PO box, but since my move, I haven't gotten a new one. Soon, soon, soon I will. Anyways, until next time, guys, I love you so much, and I will talk to you on the next episode of What's the Actual F. Stay safe, happy Halloween, and until next time. Love you later, bye! <laughs>